All right. I lied to you last week. Start there. I told you I was going to tell you three stories of tension. I told you two. So I'm sorry. Here's the third one. Uh, last week, we saw Paul talking about his ministry and his sufferings for the sake of the Gentiles. And going to Colossians 1, 24, he said he rejoiced in his sufferings. Why? Because it meant their joy, it meant their maturity, it meant their growth. It meant them coming to know Jesus and then grow in grace for the rest of their lives. And the, the tension I feel here with Paul, not the racial tension that I spoke of last week, but the ministry tension of feeling this with him. Now, I don't say this to warrant, ask for any pity, but there's a reality of suffering for the sake of others that just means suffering. It's for the sake of others, but it's genuine suffering. Like if, if this wasn't my role, if this wasn't uh, uh, what I was called, I don't think I would be called the names I've been called in the past 10 years. I wouldn't be betrayed the way I've been betrayed the past 10 years. Uh, I, I wouldn't be uh, 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 seen as, as some uh, wonderful, hey, the grateful, but all these expectations get put on me, and then I fail those expectations, so now I'm the worst. Ministry includes suffering, and Paul was very clear on that. But in this suffering for you, and when you're suffering for others, the joy is that even in our suffering, the Lord is working it. Somehow, some way, mysteriously, providentially, sometimes you don't even see his hand at work, but he is actively tinkering, working on your heart. Working for you to know. And so Paul last week said, hey, <laughs> Gentiles, this is the mystery, you're co-heirs as well. And what that means for, for you, those in Ephesus, and in the surrounding areas, Colossae, Lystra, the others, it means his imprisonment. And so he went off on this parenthetical remark about himself to them, of what it looked like to serve them, to love them. And now he goes back into what he interrupted himself with, with this prayer. He said in verse 1, for this reason... And then he said, Paul, and he started talking about his relationship with them. But now he's going to pick it back up and say, for this reason, I kneel. And so we get into this prayer. You, you can go back to Ephesians 1 and see his first prayer for the Ephesians, but now you see his second prayer for the Ephesians. And, and I just wanted to say this. Uh, don't focus on this so that you can learn good theology, so that you can speak good theology in prayers in front of people. There's a big difference between... Uh, trying to pray good theology and letting good theology pray. And that's what Paul does. He has good theology, and he just, hey, I'm going to make sure you guys all hear exactly my words and know exactly what I'm saying. No, he's just going to let good theology, good relationship and humbleness before the Lord and gratitude before Jesus, he's going to let that relationship pray for these people. And I want you to hear this prayer because it's for us as well. And I want you to hear it not in the sense I've, I want to unpack and explain a prayer. I want the Spirit to make this prayer a reality for us now. Does that make sense? I, I, the big a big difference in a goal this morning is for me to be like, hey, this is what this prayer means. <laughs> what I'm saying is I want, this spirit, I want this prayer to happen. I want the Spirit to do this in this moment. 
You with me? Do you guys want to leave different than you came? Do you have more excitement, more joy in Jesus? Okay. Let's do it then. Ephesians 3, verse 14. Look at it with me. If you don't have a Bible, there's one underneath you, maybe in a seat. If you don't have a Bible at all at your house, grab one, take one. It's yours. We want you to see. We want you to open up and, and, and not really wrestle with me. By the end of this, the qualms, if you have any, aren't with me. Maybe they are. Some of them are. I say some bad things. But I lied to you last week, right? But what I'm really trying to get to is that you, you wrestle with what the Lord is saying. Ephesians 3, verse 14. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. I pray that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory, what? To be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you being rooted and firmly established, mixes metaphors, right? Agri uh, 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 agriculture and then a building. You're rooted like a plant, but you're also established like, like a building with a sure foundation with Jesus Christ as the cornerstone. He said in chapter 2, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and the width and the height and the depth of God's love and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That's the prayer. Now, when he says, for this reason, that takes us back to chapter 2. So not the parenthetical remark in this beginning of chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. No, back to chapter 2, where he reveled in Jesus, that it's through Jesus' death and resurrection that we are reconciled to God and each other. Do you remember it? I'll remind you. Three massive statements of who we are because what Jesus has done for us, what Jesus has done. He said, Jesus has brought us peace. Jesus has made us one new humanity. And twice he's told us that Jesus has given us direct access to the Father. For this reason, those things, I kneel before the Father. He humbles himself in prayer. Now often you'll see Jesus walking and praying, getting away, standing and praying. So there's not one particular posture that is righteous, right? We ask you to raise your hands for prayer of praise. Why? Because the psalmists do. Because your body does matter. And there is something about your posture uh, that's connected to your heart when you humble yourselves actively by kneeling before the Father. And so he's saying, I humble myself. I get down before the Father and pray for you and ask the one who's created everything, who rules everything. Do you hear that? Every name is named. He's again poking at the false gods of Ephesus, even in a, a smooth little prayer, right? Just say, hey, there's one God who's, who's, who's name. There's one God who's created everything. There's one God who rules everything. We're not talking to Artemis right now. She doesn't care and she's not going to help. The father who created everything, rules everything, that's who we're going to go to. That's what we're going to ask for. And what does he ask? That your heart would be strengthened by the Spirit's 
power. Heart would be strengthened. The inner man, the inner being, right? The, the Bible tells us that our outer man is wasting away, right? I'm getting old. Uh, I'm at that, like, joking, goofy, silly things of, hey, I, I, I hurt my back. How? Sleeping? Yeah, that's where I'm at, right? Our outer bodies are wasting away. People ask, why are you wearing a boot? Uh, because I was playing with my kids. That's why. How'd you roll your ankle? I don't know, soccer with five-year-olds? The outer man is wasting away. But he's saying, I want your inner man. I want your in interior life. I want your heart. And all that that means in, in the biblical sense, your heart, the ruling uh, center of your life. I want your heart to be strengthened with power by his spirit. Why? Well, the new life with Jesus only came about by his power, right? The Spirit raised Christ from the dead, then the Spirit hovered over you and gave you a new heart, made you alive. And so the, the power to actually continue to follow Jesus, we need that as well. We come into this new life by powerful power, and then we continue in this life following Jesus by the Spirit's power, strengthening us we can, so that we can run this race. Now, this isn't Ephesus magical power. This isn't an impersonal force that, we can, that can be harnessed or, or controlled or manipulated. That's not what he's saying, no. <laughs> the power of God comes through a relationship. Not through paganistic rituals of cutting yourself or doing these things so that you can try to uh, uh, get the impersonal power so that you can wield it and say, yeah, you're mine, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to chokehold you into this no the power that he's praying for it comes through a relationship a relationship with the father by our union with the exalted christ a relationship with the father also because of the indwelling presence of the spirit with every believer we need this holy spirit power to run this race at this point, he has said nothing that's difficult. He's told them nothing that's, like, crazy. He's about to, though. The next three chapters about how, how are you going to live more than that, the last three chapters call us to this lovely, beautiful, difficult life. It will take power to love difficult people. It will take Holy Spirit power to forgive deep wounds. It will take power to disciple our kids day in and day out. It will take power to endure with that person. It will take power to bear with them when they get on your ever-loving nerves. It's going to take power to endure and to love and to care for and to forgive and to bear with one another. So he's saying, may our hearts be empowered so that we can run this race to the end. And that Christ may dwell in your hearts. That's the second thing. This isn't too much difference, right? This this. It really isn't a second thing. It's 1A. It's a subpoint of one. But, but what's happening here is that they know Christ. So he's not praying that they would come to know Christ. What he's praying for is that Jesus would grow bigger and bigger and bigger in their hearts. Not that he would take a residence in their hearts for the first time that's happened. What, what he's praying for 
is that Jesus will increasingly manifest his reign over every area of our lives. That the ruler over everything, that we would experience his rule and reign over our hearts, over our entire lives, more increasingly because we have about 70 compartments that we've tried to tuck away from Jesus. And Paul's saying, no, Jesus wants all of it. Jesus is coming after all of it. I'm praying that, that after everything, everything inside you, every little compartment, every little relationship or every little habit that's disconnected from Jesus outside of his plan and is destroying your soul, he's saying, I want everything to come under the rule and reign of Jesus in your heart. And then he prays that we would feel the Father's affection for us. Now up to this point, if, we knew, if, if you knew the letter to the Ephesians only, this is what you know. Okay, this is what you know about God's love. If you've only read Ephesians. If you only heard a little bit about Jesus from Paul, which isn't true because you had two years in Ephesus, but if you heard a little bit from Paul, maybe, maybe you were there the last day he was there, right? And then all you got was this letter. What do you know about God's love from, from this letter? Chapter 1. In love, the Father predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Christ Jesus. In love. In love, he came after you. In love, you orphans. In love, he saw you distressed without hope, as he said in chapter 2. And he came after us, adopted us in love according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved, the beloved son, Jesus. In chapter 2, what else does he say? But God who is rich in mercy because of his great love. You hear that? But can you, I think a piece of what Paul is praying is that you would actually sense that next phrase. That he had for us. We can talk about God as love, very separate and, and, and far away, distance from ourselves. It's a concept. Hey, yeah, that's, that's a theological concept I can agree with. We can talk about it, we point at it, but he said, no, no. I want you to sense this, and a big part of this is that you would know that he loves you. Rich in mercy towards you. Billions of people on the planet, mercy towards you. Love towards you. Set his love on you before creation, that's what chapter 1 said, and then now here what it says, he then shows his love, expresses his love, and made us alive with Christ even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace, and what is grace other than the unmerited favor, love of God? And in chapter 1, the prayer that he prayed was that our, our eyes of our hearts would be enlightened to God's hope and inheritance and power. But here he's saying, may we be strengthened. May Christ dwell in our hearts through faith and may we feel the Father's affection for us. And I'm saying feel 
intentionally. The word comprehend in the original language is not to not just understand, hey, that chair is that color. I comprehend that. It's to know, to sense, to feel the Father's affection for you. The difference between a dad saying, I love you, and then you actually sensing his love for you in real time as he sacrifices something for you for your good. That's love. That's what he's saying. Real-time love for you in action seen in the face of Christ. Christian, the fundamental impulse of the Father to you is love. And if you've been around for longer than a year, I've said this, and I'm going to keep saying it. Because it needs to be true. It should be. The Father's love should be. The soundtrack to our lives. That's the buzzing, ambient, beautiful soundtrack playing in the background all the time. Oh, how I love you. Oh, how I love you. Oh, how I love you. Great is my powerful love for you. In love, I predestined to adopt you before anything existed. always playing in your heart. Oh, how you love me. Nothing can separate me from your love. You love me before time began. You hold me like a toddler. You won't let go. And so again, can I, can I ask you to pause and delight in God's delight for you? I'm saying I want us to delight, to take joy in, to enjoy that the Father delights in you. Some of our hearts are as cold as yesterday morning, and this is what we need to hear. Some of us are in sin and hard-hearted. Some of us like to justify our sin and, and change our theology so that we continue in our patterns and habits. Some of us are doubting and in a fog, God delights in you. If you have an icy, chilled, cold heart towards him right now, it hasn't affected or impacted him one bit in regards to his love for you. If you're here only because you have to be, only because you feel like your spouse has made this a ritual, or only because it's expected, or only because you grew up and you do it because your family did it, wherever you're at with your, your heart, if you don't like Christmas, if you don't like singing these songs, if you feel beat down by your sin, he delights in you. He loves you. If you need a specific example or if you're like, how? I've already told you. Look at the face of Christ. Look at, look at the face of Christ on the eve of his crucifixion. Jesus is not drinking the, he's not drinking wine to numb the pain. 
He's not distracting himself with other things. He's not, he's not doing the thing that some of us do where you make jokes, you know, to try to get out of the intensity of the moment, make it real light all the time, like, ah, you know. He's not doing that. And he's not even asking his disciples to pamper him. He's not asking for Greek olives. And some leaves to be whipped in his direction. No, he's submitting to the Father for us. He's crying out to the Father on our behalf. And tomorrow, he'll die for the Father's greatness to be seen and celebrated. For your salvation, for you to have eternal life. This is his love for you. Clearly seen. Who dies for a friend? Who dies for an enemy? Jesus does. Why? Because he truly loves. We are not love. First John has told us that God is love, and he loves us. And so if you doubt it, if you doubt that he loves you, look at the face of Jesus. Come to grips with who he is, what he's said, and what he's done for you. Dane Ortland puts it like this in Gentle and Lowly. He says, Christ died to confound our intuitive assumptions that divine love has an expiration date. I read that again, so it'll set in, and so I can pronounce it correctly. Christ died to confound our intuitive assumptions that divine love has an expiration date. Like, like food on your pantry. You think it's going to expire someday. No. He died to prove that God's love, as Jonathan Edwards put it, an ocean without shores or bottom. God's love is as boundless as God himself. God's love is as boundless as God himself. This is why the Apostle Paul speaks of divine love as a reality that stretches to an immeasurable breadth and length and height and depth. The only thing in the universe as immeasurable as that is God himself. God's love is expansive as God himself. For God to cease to love his own, God would need to cease to exist. Because God does not simply have love, he is love. In the death of Christ for us sinners, God intends to put his love for us beyond question. And what Paul is saying is that intellectually you cannot argue. Logically, you cannot argue if you're in Christ, his love for you. I don't care your situations or your relationships or if you're in the worst suffering of your life. You cannot logically argue that God doesn't love you. It's been proven over and over again. It's been proven. But Paul is saying, I want you to feel that love. I want you to sense that love. I want you to be like walking into an ocean and to be harassed by the waves hitting you over and over again with such a current of God's love for you because that's how it is. It doesn't have that expiration date. It's not going to stop. It's as bigger than you can imagine because it's as big as God is himself, and it's for you. Feel his affection for you. what I want. I want you to know 
and experience the expansiveness of God's love, God's affection for you. Last summer, I told some of you guys this story at the beginning of this year. But last summer, I was struggling with, with uh, serious doubt, like really questioning my faith, tempted to believe there was a better story out there. Long story short, over time, I had a, a recurring dream, a nightmare. Uh, yeah, recurring nightmare, because it was a recurring nightmare of my wife committing adultery on me, and it felt so real, so palpable, so like it happened that I would wake up con- scared, confused, concerned, uh, sometimes wanting to ask her in the middle of the night if it really happened. Like, so just a, a terrible beatdown. It would hurt. Like the, the betrayal, I, I could feel the betrayal, sense it. And then I could breathe after I could comprehend it was just a, a dream. But one night, the dream, I keep saying dream, I wrote dream down. The nightmare, it was. The nightmare woke me up, and God gently revealed what was happening. Maybe this is why I say dream here, is because I think it's from God. I think it's from God. Like he woke me up that in the middle of the night and just sensed, oh, this dream was from the Lord. To show me nothing between me and Kalen, but everything between me and him. Of what I was doing to him, that I was betraying him, that I was considering other lovers that I was committing adultery in this moment. I was intrigued by what life would look like on my terms, not his. <laughs> and uh, Kaylin would laugh because this is true all the time. But then I went back to sleep, just amazed by God's love for me. That day, I told Kaylin who'd been praying for me fervently and she was so excited like she had said that's what God had already showed me I've just been praying for you (laughs) that the Lord would show you what I'm saying is how much does God love us he loves you so much he might even send you dreams to mess with you to woo you back to himself that's how much he loves you His love for you means he desires to commune with you. He delights to commune with you, to be your friend, for you to be his friend. As Dane said, he wants to leave you with no doubt in your heart that he loves you. And what I love about Paul's prayer this morning is this is what my wife was doing for me. But Paul is praying for the Ephesians. This is what my wife is praying for me. That I would feel the Father's love for me. That I wouldn't stumble on another thought. That I wouldn't stumble on another book. Not that I would have another argument in my mind about apologetics. But that I would sense and know and comprehend the length and the breadth and the width and the height of his love for me. So this is our prayer from here. 
that I, I've been praying for myself. I've been praying for you for this whole year, and I want to, I love it, because how I came back from sabbatical in March, it's kind of how we're ending, with the same prayer. And it's this prayer. Father, may you grant me a work of your spirit to fill your affection for me. And Father, may you grant our church family a work of your spirit to fill your affection for them. That we pray this for ourselves. So we pray this for one another. Because can you imagine what it would look like? What would it be if we believed and sensed God's love for us? Think how patient and kind you would be with your kids if you felt the Father's affection for you. Think how humble and bonded our community groups would be if we collectively felt the overwhelming affection of the Father for us. Think how our insecurities would melt away Think how bold and unassuming we would be. Gentle and powerful. Think how generous we would be with our time, with our homes, with our money. It seems, I'll add one more, think how forgiving our family would be. What, are, what it seems like is there's a scarcity mindset, there's a starvation mentality that we don't know if he really has according to the riches of his glory. Do you see that in, in verse what was that? Verse 16. There's no need to ration the Father's love. There isn't rations. There's not a scarcity. There shouldn't be a scarcity mentality. Oh, he might love those people. He can't love me. No, he's clearly said. His love is expansive as he is. Can that cover you too? Yes like a warm blanket to your soul, pulling you in and covering you in, saying, you're loved. You're loved. What if we believed and sensed the Father's love for us? And then he finishes with, now to him. Look at it, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to, to the power that works in us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. This is how we pray. This is how we endure in ministry. This, this, this life is a fight. It's a marathon. It's a, a day in, day out, sweating like a farmer in overalls. That's what this is. That's all the things he's told us that this is life is. Hard work like soldier. Hard work, like a farmer. Hard work, like running a marathon. Hard work, like doing the Olympics. You need power. 
And this is how we pray. I mean, if, if it was us trying to manipulate people into godliness and joy, we'd run out of power and love and miss the mark. But we work hard and trust God with the results. We pray and ask grandiose items because he's a grandiose God. More power, more love. And the one thing that, that may be hindering some of us in this, two things off the cuff, First Peter. Husbands, maybe some of your prayers for your heart and prayers for your children are hitting the ceiling because of how you treat your wife. Look at First Peter. We can talk about it. Another thing might be is that you don't ask for this. And the Father loves for his children to keep asking, to keep knocking, to keep pleading. Let me feel your affection for me. Let me feel greater your love for me. Let me know deeper how much you care and how deep your compassion is towards me. So pray for your heart. Pray this. Pray this for your heart. Father, grant me work in your spirit to feel your affection for you. Pray this for your spouse. Pray this for your kids. Pray this for your community group. Pray for your friends. Pray that we would be strengthened, powerfully strengthened to run this race and we would feel the Father's affection for us. So you, I'm not trying to unpack this. This is what I'm going. It's what I'm going to do, if you're willing. What we're going to do, if you're willing, is to pray this. And so this is going to be the response time. I'll just tell you right now what it's going to look like. I'm going to pray. The band's going to play some music, and we're going to sit and ask for this to happen now. That we want know a little bit more about God's love for us, that we would feel a little bit more God's love for us this morning. So I want you to pray with me and sit and, and just wait on the Spirit to do what he does, to lead you to exult further in Jesus. to pour, Romans 5, the Father's love into your heart right now. And so let's pray. Father, I ask that you would genuinely grant us a work of your spirit that we would feel your affection for us. Before we start thinking about our kids, before we start thinking about communion, before we think, Lord, I, I pray that we would be your kids with you in your lap, and you would remind us again, maybe more deeper and intimate, of how you care for us, of how much you love us. Spirit, would you do it? 
in Christ's name. Amen.